There we go. Much better. Everybody's like, oh, okay. Well, let's go ahead. I think it's just us. So let's go ahead and get started with it, okay? Father, we just pray for your blessing upon uh, our word as we go deeper into it, that it would help us to internalize everything that Rich shared with us and everything that just stems from our interaction with uh, Luke 3. Pray for everybody online as they are trying as well to uh, engage with the word and engage with the body here in spirit. So just help us in that process to communicate well and help us to understand what it is that you are impressing upon us or wanting to impress upon us uh, as, we, as we just kind of weigh these things. And um, I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as we're um, looking at Luke chapter 3 again, um, and kind of expanding on some of the things that um, Rich had shared, uh, there's a lot of good stuff in this, in this text, and a lot of stuff that uh, Rich uh, just kind of scratched the, scratched the surface on. Um, and one of the things that uh, I, I, I guess I, I wanted to know is, uh, as you guys listen to the message and perhaps um, kind of let it soak in a little bit, you know, I couldn't help but think about the comparison between, I got to get this calibrated for you guys. How am I doing up there, Brian? Okay? Sound okay? All right. When uh, Rich mentioned uh, right out of the gate, the powers that be, the world powers that be, because think about this, the, you know, the Roman government is basically in charge of the world. And it's their moment. It's their moment to shine. And you think about the British Empire in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the 19th century, the American Empire in the 20th century, and now people are saying, you know, this is the century for the Chinese Empire. And so there's always these powerful world-dominating forces in play. And if you think about that, um, you know, I don't know, you know, with, with the, the election that we went through, and I, I tend to steer clear of politics as much as I can, but we can't help but recognize some things about what is happening with Tiberius and all of the other underlings and um, the gong show, as you mentioned, regarding Herod Antipas and his whole convoluted family situation, notwithstanding Caiaphas and, high, and, and Annas, who were the high priest. And then you're thinking, well, isn't there supposed to be just one? Well, that's a whole other reason why it's all sideways. And then you think about, you know, the election that we just gone through, and regardless of where you're at on the political spectrum, the bottom line is uh, there are, is an assumption that the state knows best the state can do best, the state can provide the best, the state has the best answers for how you and I are supposed to live our lives. But if you really believe that, um, for example, uh, try to ask the state to do anything for you, and you'll get not a person, but you'll get a phone number that you have to press a whole bunch of other numbers to get to a whole bunch of other numbers to basically get to a number that says, um, we're sorry, uh, we can't help you. And that's essentially the state for you. 
overpromises, underdelivers, time and time again. But what Rich kind of brought to the surface a little bit is the fact that when the state is very heavy-handed, we sometimes feel helpless, don't we? That we just don't have any control over their policy-making, over how they're going to direct the economy, how they engage with business, and whether or not um, what they're doing is going to serve the best interest of people, especially in the Midwest. You think about how the Midwest has been gutted because of state policy and how this area was once thriving, and a lot of it has to do with state policy. And all of those things weigh heavily on us. And, you know, my kids, for example, um, uh, you know, they're they're very uncertain about the future because of the fact that they don't trust that the way policy is being driven, they don't, they're not even sure what jobs to get involved in because they don't know if that policy will change things where um, we're not doing things anymore. And I'll just give one example. Um, my, my, my cousin lives in uh, California and she said, in San Diego has been very interesting to watch all the, all the little businesses disappear while all the big scale, big box businesses are doing fine. And essentially the reason she said that was the case is that all the little businesses were discouraged from having people come in in the lockdown. But at the same time, the policy was that if you're in a big box situation, you can conduct business however you want to. So that's an example of how the state makes policy that damages people's lives, creates uncertainty about even starting a, a small business. All I want to say is there is a strong concentration of power that is filled with arrogance and belief in itself and its competence that is trying to inflict upon the rest of us. And that is the world that we live in. But that is exactly the world of Tiberius Caesar, the world of Pontius Pilate, the world of Herod Antipas, the world of, um, of uh, Caiaphas and Annas. Because, you know, these guys, as Luke is saying this about them, they are in the positions of power. And they are, they are reveling in the fact that they're the respected authorities. But if we understand the scripture, we know that behind that power is actually there are forces at work that are cosmic in nature. I mean, they're satanic. And that's always been the case. Now, what happened to Pilate? For, let's just, let's just go, go through the list here. Um, Luke is writing way after this, but um, 33 AD, Pilate um, stands uh, over the destiny of Jesus and he judges him as guilty, if nothing else, just by, by kind of washing his hands. Four years later, what happened to Pilate? Well, Pilate actually got into a lot of trouble with Tiberius Caesar because there was an uprising in Samaria, which was just up the road, at Mount Gerizim, and a number of people were killed, and soldiers got involved, and it was a great big train wreck, and Tiberius Caesar... Um, 
um, was alerted on it, and he called Pilate to come back to report what is going on. The only problem was Tiberius Caesar died in AD 37, four years after Jesus. So uh, another, another Caesar takes control, and Pilate disappears off the map. Um, then you've got the whole, all the little kings there, Herod, uh, Antipas, and they're the, they're, they're, you know, they're, there's, there's Herod, there's Herod Philip, and these are basically little regional kings that are supposed to be Jewish, but the problem was Herod Antipas never got the title king, and his wife was very upset about that, and she kept prodding him. Philip's got the title king, you don't, and then John the Baptist looks at this guy who's supposed to be a Jewish king, but he's basically a lackey for the Roman government, and he calls him out because John the, Bap- or John the Baptist said to Herod Antipas, you divorced your wife so that you could marry your, your half-brother's daughter who was actually married to your other half-brothers, and the whole thing is just like, I can't even keep up with it. But essentially, the, it, it disintegrates. And then you've got, um, so you have all of these power people who basically, the bottom line is, they're here today and they are gone tomorrow. But God still reigns on his throne. And what, what Luke is writing about when he's setting this up is a new way of life that has to do with the everyday, but it's entirely centered on the life of Jesus, and it lives in the domain of the kingdom of Jesus, which can be anywhere on the planet while any other nation state is happening. You catch that? It's a way of life that we are called to live no matter where we're at that is, that is centered under the dominion of the kingdom of God and we could, that can happen in America, that can happen in China, that can happen anywhere on the planet. But essentially what it means is from the ground up, it's designed to influence everything around in the best way possible. Whereas big government is, we want to from the top down influence everything by policy, which is always a failure. If we don't pay attention to what Rich said, if you don't change the heart, you don't change anything. Yeah, the... Um I'm sure Tiberius and everybody in that list uh, kind of had their own definitions of what integrity was uh, and what it is to be to be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christians are those. John the Baptist is that who says, "No, God says what's good. It's 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 what He says. It's submission to Him. It's not what I define. It's what God defines." And so they're running around with their definitions and imposing their definitions on people. John the Baptist is calling everybody to God's definition of what things is because that's truth, that's reality. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole different thing. And so the reason I mention all of this is I think we're living in a moment where God is doing something unlike any moment that I've ever lived on or lived in. It didn't just happen in the Bible. It's the same thing that always happens. It repeats itself. And there's a lot of things happening culturally, politically. Let's just, let's, just, let's, just put it, let's just put it in these terms. How many of you, when you pick up um, 
well, when you, when, you, when you watch TV, when you get on the internet, how many of you can believe anything that you hear coming in from the news in any form? How many of you feel like you're just confused? I mean, yeah. Because you're getting a lot of mixed signals, aren't you? And it's hard to even know what to believe, right? There's a part of me that says, I kind of believe that God's allowing this confusion just to run rampant. Joe, you, have a, you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, I was, I was uh, thinking as you were saying that uh-huh. about, first of all, all these big leaders in the first few verses of the chapter. Uh-huh. Then all of a sudden we turn into the Christian part or the Jewish part, and they have a power. Yeah. I noticed that if we're going to uh, always be on Facebook or Twitter and, and the news, I've realized it's temporary. Mm-hmm. John the Baptist has a message, not just temporary, it's everlasting. And it's about following Jesus or believing on him, and you'll have eternal life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not supposed to be in the world or of it. Uh, we're a nation under the new kingdom. Mm-hmm. And everybody wants to claim, you know, America's the one that's, mm-hmm. that's a nation under God, and we're yeah. in a different realm. Mm-hmm. But everything that's on the news is temporary. Sign up for food stamps. Let's get our let's get all our might together, and we'll be number one. And it's all temporary. And like you said earlier, kingdoms come and kingdoms go, or should I say, powers. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I wanted to mention, and I I like to on today when I even listen to Rich and what you're saying right now. What what we've decided to do, and I think it's God been working, and there's so many angles to go here. But we, you know, the elders have been meeting and we've been talking about a lot of different things. And one of the things that we wanted to really emphasize was that spiritual layer of the eldership and how grounded we are as elders in God's word. And Rich is is gifting because each of the elders are different and they bring a different set of skill sets to the the, the experience. And and Rich's skill set is he he wants to, as an elder, keep us grounded in that spiritual layer which I think has been very helpful in preparing us for the moment that we're in because we really, God is just sort of breaking down everything around us. And the only thing that will remain is the word of God. And so what's happening in the culture, what's happening in the news, what's happening even as we look forward to the things getting back to normal, normal won't even be like it was before. So what in all that chaos and all the signaling from media and from politicians that is so confusing, there's one voice of reason that we have to tune into, and it's God's word. That is the thing that keeps us stable. Um, and it's the thing that actually isn't even about this world. It is about, it is about how heaven which is God's rule right now, is coming down to earth as we pray the Lord's Prayer, 
and the qualities of that experience come alive in believers if Jesus is our Lord and the Holy Spirit is enabling. That's the kind of experience that says, even though stuff is hitting the fan out there, we're in kind of this stable place. We can be hopeful. We don't have to worry. I mean, sure, policymakers are going to do things that will impact our lives, but not at the deeper levels of our lives. And that's why it's important for people to get grounded in the Word of God, to get clarity on what that means. And what Rich brought to the surface was the very first thing that you have to do in order for, let's just take the chaos of the moment and call that the hills and the valleys that go up and down, the paths that are all kind of not, pa- not passable. And when John quotes Isaiah and he says, you know, make straight the paths and, and uh, lower the mountains and raise, you know, lower the, lower the mountains and raise the valleys, basically what he's saying is take all the confusion that you're caught up in and find that straight way. But once you find that straight way, you can't really onboard onto the straight way until you get your heart where it needs to be. And that's why repentance is so important. It is God's way of saying, I want you to turn away from the things that you're caught up in that are creating all the confusion in the world, and I want you to turn to the one who can bring you into a place where you finally have peace, you have a a better understanding of God's purpose for life and your life and for creation. It's a place of stability that begins with Jesus. But John the Baptist is so important. He's gotta he's gotta call call things out and call people out and say, This isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. And basically Luke tells us everyone was in the crosshairs. Jew, the crowds, the tax collectors who were the in-between people, and the soldiers who were the Gentiles. Everybody needs to get right with the Lord. And when you do, that's when the stuff that is rocking your world in the world kind of no longer is the thing that is controlling you, but rather the thing that controls your life, the things that keeps your life centered, the thing that keeps you in that good place with God is Jesus. And um, yeah, you can't emphasize repentance enough for clearing that space so that he can come alive in us, so that we can hear. You can't really hear or understand what Jesus is doing if you're caught up in stuff that's contrary to him. Everything begins with repentance and every time someone backslides or the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, whenever they take some missteps, the God-prescribed route to restoration is always repentance. That's yeah. what he prescribes every time. Yeah. Come back to me. Yeah, come back to me. And I really like how you use the word hate as a, as a way of basically turning away from something. Because how many times have we not been aggressive towards something we didn't like? We just turned our back on it. That's even more powerful. 
and repent having that, that notion of turning away from something and turning towards something else, and that something else is Jesus. Basically, you're turning away from those things that the world says, these are the things, these are the good things, these are the things you need to pay attention to, and instead, you're turning towards the Lord. When I mentioned my kids just a minute ago, real quickly, Rich, um, I, I told them, I said, you can get caught up on what's happening on Twitter. You can get caught up on what's happening in the conspiracy theory place. You can get caught up in all the stuff that you're hearing online. But all I can tell you is it's all kind of just a lot of the same thing. It's a lot of misinformation. It's a lot of confusion. And it's a lot of misplaced attention. I said, pay attention to what the Lord is doing in your life right now and around you right now. Pay attention to his word. Devote yourself to those things that are part of the kingdom. And God will take care of all this other stuff for you. He's sovereign. He's allowing this stuff because he's got purposes in it and he needs us to be faithful. And so I told my kids, your best bet for your time and energy and attention right now in this season is unquestionably paying attention to the things in the Lord getting yourself right doing those things that are an expression of getting yourself right and that will take up most of your attention and bandwidth anyway and essentially John is just a harbinger for that Um, now here's the question why were people going out okay so I don't have a map with me just imagine you know you've got you got, you know, the Holy Land here, all right? And you've got Jerusalem down here. You got the Jordan River kind of in the desert over here. And John's, you know, he's out here way from Jerusalem across the Jordan River out here kind of in the wilderness. It's several miles out there. And people are coming from cities all around out there to see John, to hear John. Why were they doing that? What would incentivize you to drive to the Mojave Desert to hear somebody? other than, like you said, God's working in your heart, or other than they're tired, you're tired of all the garbage that you're hearing from all the other places. Go ahead and weigh in. I know you're going to weigh in a minute ago, Rich, and maybe... A... What was drawing them, what brought you out here was... They were beginning to sense their need through what they were hearing through John. They were not finding, everything was find, was uh, revealing itself as uh, unable to meet their deeper needs. Uh, society can't provide that for us. Our, um, no matter how much laws or freedoms that we have or think we have or whatever it may be, um, only Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. Only God can do. The, we're going to hit a ceiling everywhere we go. Uh, that's what Ecclesiastes, I mean, uh, Solomon says, I tried money, I tried sex, I tried, I tried uh, wisdom, I tried to find meeting in, in ABC, and, you get, and just, that's what the whole book's out, and he says he, ke- he keeps looking over the sun, like, you know, like, like everything under the sun is just meaningless, super encouraging, right? All in an effort to get us to look over the sun to who, who's behind the sun. Who's behind God. it, yeah. Yeah, um, so let's just take a minute to three, look at the three people that, that Rich touched on. The first one were the crowds, right? Let's assume that the crowds were mostly made up of Jewish people, okay? 
they're obviously out there because they have what I would call a religious itch that's not being scratched. Let's go back to Jerusalem and look at the religious institution. Who's in charge? Who does Luke mention? Who are the two guys that are the high priests? I know. (laughs) Caiaphas and Annas. Okay. Who are those guys? Annas was the high priest earlier on. He actually got kind of kicked out. But his son-in-law, Caiaphas, ended up jockeying for that position, and he got it. So basically, Annas is running the, the religious establishment through his son-in-law, Caiaphas. He's kicked out, but he still has a massive amount of influence and authority. I mean, even in the crucifixion, they bring him to, they put, they bring Jesus in front of Annas, Annas too. Yeah, because at the end of the day, Annas is the power here yeah. of the religious establishment. But the thing is, the crowds are saying, you guys are playing all these games religiously, and it's, it's not going anywhere. It's not, it's not. It's not what God wants. It's we're not in my bones. It doesn't resonate. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. Even though you've got the whole temple complex, you've got the, all of the rituals and the routines and the daily and, and the celebrations, there's something missing. And what's missing was, I think, the soul of the whole thing. And um, so they're out there saying, we got to find it somewhere is John the one. And so the crowds were saying, what do we need to do? Help us. And, and you know what John says is basically, you know, if you've got two tunics, give your neighbor one. If you've got food, give your neighbor food. Basically what he's saying is, learn to be dependent on God for all of the things that you've been given and then have a spirit of generosity towards the people around you. John was the embodiment of that. He could only eat, you know, what God provided him in the wilderness. I did hear the other. More credible. I did hear the other day there was a guy from South America that talked about eating pineapple, and he said there are certain ants that are dehydrated that if you put it on your pineapple, it actually gives it sort of a um, kind of almost a cayenne pepper flavor. Now you know it says John ate locusts and honey. I don't know if they were cayenne pepper locusts, and they're like, hey, nobody else is doing this. I figured it out. I know it's gross, but, man, it's really tasty. We trust John to to read a scripture, not write us a cookbook. Yeah, Yeah. perhaps. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, But John obviously was solely dependent upon God for his daily needs. And basically, I think what, what John was trying to show us was, the religious establishment, that whole apparatus is actually kind of broken. And I'm calling it out. And if you're not coming this way, then you're going the other way. And so, you know, did the religious establishment come out and say, John, we're with you? Because you don't really hear them in the three that are mentioned. The other thing they do is they're like, what's this, you know, they're probably doing like a little investigation, like, is this guy a troublemaker or not? And um, so then you have the tax collectors, and basically the tax collectors 
if you were a tax collector, you, you, you went with several other tax collectors to Rome to say, can we have this region? We will pay you so much money if you give us this region to, to get taxes from. And Rome's like, okay, you give me, you give me $2 million, and my guess is um, by the time you get done doing all your work, there's probably $3 million worth of income there. That other million will be for you. So you shake those people as much as you can because you're responsible for getting Roman taxes uh, to send off to a faraway place, but you can keep a, whatever, whatever you can make that's different, you're contracting. So, you know, he's calling that out. And then there's the soldiers who are exploiting people by saying, you know what, I have power, I can go up to you, I can shake you down, and I can take what I want from you. Saying, don't do that anymore. Dehumanize them. And it's not right. And so he's basically taking everyday practices, as Rich pointed out, and he's helping them to see there is a way underneath these power structures that it's kind of socially engineered you to have to live. Because you believe that if you don't live this way, you're not going to make it. It's, you know how they talk about Facebook creates sort of a digital community, but yet Facebook also determines how you interact with that community, and it is all very socially and psychologically engineered to get you to behave and respond certain ways. That is essentially the way things worked at ground level when Jesus showed up. And John is just calling that stuff out, and he's saying, these ways are not good, they're not healthy, they're not right, and they're not from God. But there is a new way coming. And it's pretty telling when he says, John underscores his sense of unworth. Even though I'm out here wailing you guys with these calls to repentance, I'm nothing compared to him. Oh, hold up. That's what you preach next week. You're yeah, that's true. I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, sorry. Yeah, a little teaser, right? Okay. Um, so what I wanted to kind of emphasize as we've spent some time here is on the ground level, we are living in a moment where there are strong forces and powers at work that are making policy that have a lot to do with our seeming destiny. It's very troubling. What John is saying is they've got their rules, they've got their way, and from by all accounts, the media says this is just the way the world works. But did you ever know that whenever you want to try to take on something, a lot of times, like my, my daughter and I were talking about it, and she's like, well, how do, I, how do I combat that? You know, if I have a different point of view, it's chilling how they're shutting down on Twitter and on social media, views that, that don't agree with the mainstream ideas. And they're vilifying people that have different opinions and even chillingly shutting social media platforms down, like uh, Palantir, is that the name of it or something? Anyway, by saying you can't, you can't go to the app store and get their app. We're not allowing it. She said, how do you fight that? And I said, 
you're never going to fight that and win. It is too powerful to fight our digital overlords on their own terms. I said the way you fight it is just like the way you fight it as described in the Bible. You come at it from an angle that they never saw coming because it isn't even in their vocabulary about Jesus, about the kingdom, about God's sovereignty over it all, about the power of prayer. All of those things, you know, are secular, statist, digital media, Silicon Valley, however, overlords who have engineered and designed our way of life such that we have to follow their rules. It's depressing when you think about it that way. But it's encouraging to know you talk to those people, they don't even know who Jesus is. They really do not know who Jesus is. Yeah, Joe? When we do our fighting, I'm not talking about the Christians, I'm talking about the world. They're mm -hmm. doing it in the flesh. Yes. We're trying to change somebody's mind or whatever, but it's in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Now, when we're talking spirit, we have to have the spirit telling us what to talk about, to fight. Mm -hmm. We will become overcomers, and we will be able. We will win because uh, God is our. The world is trying to do its own in the flesh, and that's why, if you ever notice, if you go through time, there's only been 200 and some years that we've been at peace. Mm -hmm. That tells you that we're always trying to do something in the flesh, with whether it's artillery or what have you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're fighting against. Yeah. And spirit against the flesh, flesh against the spirit, and there's always war. And that's the way I see it. Yeah. And when your daughter was talking about how do you combat all these things, I think we can just have to dismiss it and realize we're not of this world and we can't change people's minds or hearts only the spirit that can do it yeah and we have a role to play in the lives of people that are caught up in that to be voices of salt and light and the love of god but also to recognize that you know we all have to go through a house clearing in order to get into that space where we can really relate to them and that's where repentance is just an ongoing perennial thing um, you know, fast forward a little bit, and I'm going to close here, uh, but if you, and, and maybe let Rich weigh in as well. Um, you know, in Luke 10, it says Jesus sent out the 70 or the 72. So they go out, and they're basically embodying the values of the kingdom, and people are responding, and they're like, hey, this works. And then the 70 come back, and they report to Jesus, and they're saying, you will not believe what is happening these people were ripe to hear what we're, what we're sharing. And people are responding. And you know what Jesus said? I saw Satan, or literally the adversary, fall as if lightning from the sky. And it's that same idea that you read about in Revelation 12. You know, we've talked about that. Where God kicks, it, kicks the adversary out of heaven, out of the divine council, sends him down to earth and says, um, yeah, you're demoted to be down there. And when my son comes, 
even though now you are the ruler of this place, he will dethrone you. And, um, you know, that adversary tried to get Jesus aligned and on board, you know, and the temptations that three Gospels talk about. Jesus said, no, not, have not got a different, different agenda going on here. When the 72 go out and Satan falls like lightning from, from, the, from the sky, basically it's saying that now he's the overlord uh, of this world. But the good news is Jesus has dethroned him. And that's why Psalm 2 is so important, like you quoted, uh, that is the most quoted I discovered it's the most quoted scripture in the New Testament uh, and, and most echoing, and it talks about he is seated on high at the right hand of the Father. And so there's something about knowing that despite everything that we're hearing, and even though the evil one is powerful and there are a lot of people that are his lackeys, whether it's Tiberius or whether it's modern-day political leaders, there is one who is stronger. But we cannot experience the strength of that if we are not right with him. The evil one will have his way with us. Yes. 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 Yes, yes. Other than that, you're how, how many people have you, have you honestly said around you, how, how are they thinking? Their reasoning doesn't make any sense. It's confusing and contradictory. So That's if you want to rebel, yeah. read this. If you want to rebel against... This is the against, only way we can rebel. Yes, that is the bottom line. I don't have to say anything more. We can take up an offering now and go home. Um, because that is the thing that is the answer to our moment. It's the way. It's the way that all those powers that be don't even understand. And the good news is, I mean, it's good news because it is the way. The good news is all those powers and things that we've talked about the reason I brought up when they disappeared, they disappeared pretty quickly. And that just, that's just the way it is. They come and they go, and they're all bold and braggadocio and almighty and stuff, and all of a sudden, they're gone. There's lots of uh, psalms and proverbs behind that very statement. <laughs> the wicked are here for a moment. They're chaff. Yeah. They're chaff. And the righteous are. Yeah. Have longevity. But the evil one would want us to believe that we're wasting our time here. But I don't believe we're wasting our time here. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why we're doing the five habits. Because I'm trying to, in my role and in the elders' role, we want to help our people to get back into the habit of spending time in community, in prayer, in scripture, in retreating from the noise. I've had a lot of people say, you know what, I decide I'm not going to spend as much time online or social media. And they're retreating from the noise. Well, we got a lot of work to do. Um, but uh, I hope this passage, whether it was through what Rich had to share or what we've had to share right now, has kind of soaked in a little bit regarding its 
fundamental importance of getting our lives right for the Lord. Okay, Rich, any more thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, I'm, I'm going to, um, because we, I'm assuming that being online and everything, I'm going to ask if there are any prayer concerns that anyone has. Uh, and if you don't want it to be like beyond this room, uh, just let us know afterwards. But I do want to pray for Wendell Goddard, who's going to be having surgery tomorrow. Um, pray that everything will go well with him. Um, and pray for Joyce Wolfgang, who's recovering. And I believe, you know, she's doing pretty good. So thank you for your prayers for Joyce. Anyone else as we wrap it up? Okay. This morning? Okay. Yeah, it means that her... Okay. It means your lungs and your heart are not in sync with each other as they try to metabolize uh, the air in your body. And so your heart says, it's not in sync, so I'm going to work harder and trying to get in sync. And um, that's where, you know, you can get into, into trouble. I have to tell you, I've, I've prayed for people in the hospital who have had AFib, and I've seen it just calm down. And it's not me, it's just the Lord saying pray for them. So we're going to pray for Joyce as well that that will subside. Okay, anyone else? All right, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll go. Lord Jesus, as we just conclude our time, uh, we thank you for John the Baptist. We thank you for Luke who took the time to give us this account so that we can see that all of us need what Isaiah said in Isaiah 40 about clearing all of the space so that the path is straight to our hearts and into our hearts. So Lord, if there are things this week that you need to convict us of that are getting in the way of your presence in our lives, we give you permission to help us to not only to see it, but to, but to put it in its proper order. Because we want to be those people that your spirit inhabits and the life of Jesus um, is embodied in. So thank you, Father, for the message of repentance. It does make us mad no question about it. We have a lot of defenses against change. But in the long run, we want to be in that place where we are right with you on all fronts. So help us, help our church, help our people to be aligned with you. Pray for Joyce that you would bring healing to her AFib and just help her, Lord, to regain her strength and her health and her life and her vitality. Surround her with your angels and continue to protect her, Lord. And I pray for Wendell Goddard that you just bless him tomorrow as he goes in for his procedure. And just whatever's not mentioned here or online, please be with our people, Lord, and help them to know that when they cry out to you, uh, that you are there. You're faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins if we ask for forgiveness. And you promise you'll never leave us or forsake us when we have a burden as um, we take all of those things and we place them before your throne. We thank you that you are a loving and merciful and gracious God.
but one that we should respect at the deepest fiber of our being. Help us to be in that space, Lord, as we conclude today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we still got Bibles here, so we're going to have to keep that meme going. Yeah, pray that they'll be not there. Maybe we need to have Brittany take a picture of them and say, okay, we don't want these here next week. You know anybody that uh, wants a Bible? Okay, because they, they are, let me just, you, okay, CSB Everyday Study Bible. And um, the print is probably just regular print, I'm assuming, because you're, you're young and your eyes are, yeah, it's a little bit smaller print, but um, if you know anybody that needs a Bible, that's a nice Bible, Rich, leather bound. Uh, yeah, so it's, a, it's very similar to the ESV that we use, right? Yeah, and this one's a little thicker. Print is probably just a little bit bigger. Lots of study notes on it. This is the whole. Is this the Holman uh, Christians? Okay, and then the other one is the same as that one. So very good Bibles, man. Yeah. Yeah. That I can read. Kind of explains it right. better. Yeah, we all need that for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I think that's it. I'm going to go and, and, and close it out online. Yeah.